Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Got to tell you, baptism Sundays are the best kind of Sundays. So fired up today to be celebrating baptisms and what Jesus is doing in the hearts and lives of the individuals that are getting baptized today. And we're actually going to get to hear their stories at the end of my message. And so fired up about that. It was so powerful at the first service and is going to be just the same for the second But we are going to dive in now to God's word for a few minutes. And we have been, if you joined us last week, we have been in the beginning of a series on the book of Genesis. And we've titled, we've we've called this series Edenology. We made up a word. That's right. Edenology, right? The study of Eden. What happened in the Garden of Eden? And that's just the first part of this journey that we're going to take together through the book of Genesis. And Genesis is an amazing book because not only does it set the tone and the reality and the context for our entire lives, it sets the tone and the reality and the context for the entire Bible. Everything that we know of God and of the gospel and the truth of Jesus, it all starts in the beginning, in Genesis, and especially in Genesis 1 through 3. Genesis 1 through 3 is the foundation for everything else that happens in the word of God. And friends, it's the only lens by which you can see the truth and reality of your life. It's the only lens by which what you're facing in this world, what you're facing every day, what you're up against in your real life, on your Monday morning, on your Wednesday afternoon, in your marriage, in your relationships, at your workplace, this is the only context that stands up against what I like to call the brutal facts of life. Life has some brutal facts that you just can't get around. We can't escape. We can't get away from them. And friends, as humans, this is what we looked at last week, but as humans, we are designed and wired by God in such a way to interpret all of life through the lens of story. And that's my title for today. What does it look like for you to live a better story? My title today is actually Living a Better Story. If you're taking notes, you can write that down at the top because what we learn from Genesis, what we learn in the Garden of Eden is not just how the world was created. That's really not even the focus. We don't get all the scientific precise detail in Genesis 1 through 3 about how the whole thing started. We know God made everything that exists. He is the origin. He's the creator. We are a part of his creation. But there's a lot of things that we really can't answer from Genesis 1 alone. The main purpose of Genesis 1 is to set up the story, is to help us understand the true story of God behind all of reality and the true story of our need, why we need a savior. What's gone wrong with the world and what God is doing to make it right. That's the point of Genesis. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors, he said this, 
and I think it's so true, he wrote, the only two stories of the world that really matter in this life are the story of God and the story of us and how these two stories intersect. The story of God and the story of us and how do these two stories come together? And friends, what I love about this is that what we're celebrating today in baptism in just a few minutes is actually the intersection. It's God's story entering into people's stories, into their lives and taking people, real life individuals, spiritually from death to life. It's the redemptive story of God that he's been writing from the very beginning, stepping into our story through faith in Jesus and saying, hey, I want to write a new chapter. It's time to turn the page. It's time for us to write a new story together. And that's what God is inviting us into, to live a better story. Because whether you realize it or not, all of us are living into some story or another. All of us are interpreting reality through this lens, through a worldview, through some form of a story or, or another. And we have to constantly... If we say we are followers of Jesus, we have to constantly recalibrate ourselves to the true story that God is writing. And if we're not careful, we'll get swept up into the story that the world wants us to believe, the story that is being pushed on us every day by modern culture, by media, by news, by everything around us. It's in the very air we breathe this world is looking to give you meaning, purpose, identity. This world is looking to give you something to chase, something to find yourself in. And I promise you this, the stories that the world is pressing on you for happiness and joy and contentment and security and identity and peace, all of those stories at the end of the day will fall short. They will not hold up against the brutal facts of life. I was thinking about this. I want us to look together at the passage we're going to read today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. And I want us to see what God's word says in this section right here. John, uh, Jonathan, Genesis 2, verse 7 to 8. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. All life flows from God. Your life flows from God. The man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll get to that one in a few weeks. Hang on. And then skipping on down to verse 15, just to give us a little more context, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, which is to cultivate it, to take what God had created and to, to work, to use himself, his strength, his mind as an image bearer of God to take the raw materials of creation, to tend it, to cultivate it, to keep it, to make what God has made even more beautiful and better using 
the reality that, man, I'm an image bearer of God. I'm called to create in the same way my creator has created. What I love as I dove into this is that the word Eden, you know what that word means? Fascinating. It means paradise. What do you think about when you hear the word paradise? Long sandy beaches, palm trees, vacation, a place of rest, a place of natural beauty, a place where you're not worried about your needs, you're not anxious about anything, you're just able to fully embrace the moment, take a deep breath. Ah, paradise, right? If you have young, little kids, it might be a date night with a babysitter, praise Jesus, that might be paradise. Might be a few days off from work if your job is producing a lot of stress in your life. When we hear the word paradise, in our minds we go to a place of rest, provision, and natural beauty. And what's amazing is that's exactly how the word of God describes Eden. Right? It says God caused to spring up from the ground. He planted a garden in paradise in Eden. And there he put the man, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is beautiful, that's pleasant to look at, and good for food, which means delicious. He, he presented Adam and Eve with this experience in paradise of beauty and provision, everything that they could ever need. I thought about all the things that were true in Eden. Not just was it a beautiful place of paradise and a place of abundant provision, but God gave Adam and Eve work to do. Now, some of you might think, hold up, that's where my view of paradise ends, right there. There's work involved. That is not paradise for me, right? But God isn't talking about work after the fall where the reality is part of the curse of the fall of turning away from God, part of the curse that we're living in is that our work, that we're only gonna produce a harvest through thorns and thistles and toil. That's why work is not always awesome. That's why for you to achieve things through your work, that's why for you to achieve things in this life, it is toilsome and wearisome and difficult. It's three steps forward, sometimes four steps back, sometimes two steps back slowly plowing your way up the mountain, slowly climbing your way up the mountain. That's not what we're talking about in Eden. Imagine knowing exactly what you were made to do, being able to use the full capacity of the human brain and physical body before the decay of sin and death had set in. Imagine knowing what you were called to do and then being able to work full on with all your energy and might towards that thing and it always produces and the outcome is always exactly what you expected it to be. Hundredfold return on your investment every single time. Every single part of you is able to give yourself fully with joy to what you were made to do and there is no taint or difficulty of sin and confusion and hardship, just fruitfulness and joy at your accomplishments. That sounds like paradise. Imagine a place of perfect health 
Imagine a place of perfect intimacy, not just with you and God, but with you and your spouse, with the relationships in your life, a place of no sickness, no disease, no division, no strife, no hatred. Mankind functioning at their highest potential, no fear, no anxiety, no pressure. Perfect alignment between your desires and your actions. What would that be like? I relate to Paul in Romans 7 where he's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, God, but every time I know the right thing to do, I do the other thing. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Praise God for Christ Jesus, my Lord, right? Our desires and our actions don't line up. Come on, somebody, we are in it. How many times do we know we don't need to go to the freezer for that third round of ice cream, but we go anyways, He's so good. How many times do we know we should get up early and just spend time with Jesus and reorient our lives to the truth of heaven and the reality of the kingdom here and now, but we don't do it? How many times do we know what we should do, but our desires don't align with our actions? You see, Eden, Eden at the end of the day is what we are all looking for. And when we turned our back on God, when we could no longer be in God's presence, when he, when he blocked the, the return for us to come back to Eden and Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden, all of humanity, the story of the Bible is humans looking for Eden in all the wrong places. We are grasping at life we are grasping at things in, in God's creation, not bad things, good things in God's creation. And we are saying, man, I, maybe if those people like me, I can find acceptance and identity. Maybe if I just get into that career or that job, I'll find purpose and I'll feel fulfilled. Maybe if I can just, you know, get with that person, marry that woman, marry that man, have that life, then, then that, that longing inside of me will be fulfilled. We're looking for only, we're looking for what we lost in Eden. Every single one of us, it's deep inside of us and we know things are not the way they were meant to be. The question is this, what story are you living from and what story are you living into? What's your worldview? What's shaping your life? What's shaping your life? And it's so interesting. I discovered this past week, um, there was an article about it. The Tinder app on our phones uh, just had its 10 year anniversary. Who knew? It's kind of crazy to think Tinder's been around for 10 years. Now, look, I realize we live in a different world, a different era where, where people are finding and meeting people online and where, gosh, I know many people who have found relationships and have been married starting with an online dating app. But it was so interesting because the article was asking the question, are we as a society, as a culture, better off because of things like Tinder or worse? What has it actually produced? And they quoted this woman who gave a bit of her own story. And I realize this isn't everybody's story, but I imagine there's a lot of people who had this story where she said, you know, 
I just got sucked into this cycle, into this world because this app promised me intimacy, connection, true love. It promised me all these things that I was really looking for and longing for, things that, whether she knew it or not, things that had been lost in Eden, right? And she's swiping left and she's swiping right and she's pursuing relationship after relationship after relationship and she's not finding what she's looking for. And there's this reality, right, where the world says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise you all these things. Money's going to give it to you. It's really going to fill that hole in your soul. Sex is going to give it to you. It's going to fill that longing inside of you. That relationship, that number of followers, whatever it may be, we are grasping at things to fill the void in our life that can only be filled by God. And friends, without a firm sense of where we came from and where this whole thing is going, without a firm sense of the story that God is writing, then we will grab onto anything that's available to calm our anxiety, to calm our, fi- our fear, to fill the void in our soul's We'll grab a hold of it, hoping that it's going to deliver on what it promises. And here's what we soon discover. If we live our lives for what others think of us, then we're going to ride a roller coaster of emotion based on others' opinions. If our story is defined by others, then we're going to be brutally disappointed. If it's defined by performance or success or self-image, we're going to be let down. Every worldview and every story has a God, has a lowercase g God, has an idol. And here's what we know about idols. Every idol promises more than it can deliver. When the experience is over, you're left wanting more and it leaves you empty. Every other idol, lowercase g, God demands more than you can give, and every other God takes more than it can provide. It's amazing. I, in studying for Genesis and just researching this entire passage of Scripture, I found this story. I had, I had never heard this before. I was like, wow, this is amazing. In 1968, when um, America, Apollo 8 mission, sent the first group of men, it was the first humans to orbit the moon. 1968 was a crazy year for our country. 2020 was rough, 2021 was rough. 1968, riots, racial division, conflict in the streets, assassination of RFK and MLK in the same year. Crazy time of political division, anger, hatred, strife. And here you have these men, Bill Alders, and I, I just forgot the other names, but it was crazy because as they were orbiting the moon and coming around the far side, they were getting a glimpse of the lunar sunrise and they were getting a glimpse of the earth from the other side of the moon. And on Christmas Eve, they were tuned in live all over the world. And 
And that moment over the radio, all across America, all across anywhere in the world who tuned in, they said, we have a message for the world on this Christmas Eve at the end of 1968. And they said this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was out without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. They read the first 10 verses. They kept reading. They read the first 10 verses of Genesis. And they said, signing off, Merry Christmas to all. In reference to the light of the world having come to earth. And some were filled with joy when they heard the words of scripture being read all across the world, the reality of God creating the heavens and the earth. These men for the first time looking at the planet earth from outer space, just realizing that's not an accident. And I don't care what narrative the modern world is pushing on you. That could not have happened by accident. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Your life has meaning. There's a foundation. There is objective truth. And it's him. And it's found in his son, Jesus. And they read these words of the Bible over the entire planet. And there were millions of people who rejoiced and millions of people who got mad. How dare you push on the world, your ancient Judeo-Christian, you know, religion and all the morals and ethics that we're riding against right now. Sure, we might like the idea of a savior, but we don't want to be ruled by any God. I'm God. It's my truth. It's my reality. I'm in charge. Don't push that on me from outer space. And it struck me. So many people have come to me over the years and they've said, I just can't make sense of this story. How, if there's a good God, how come there's so much pain in the world? How come there's so much suffering in the world? You know, how can God be good if he's the author of this whole story? Man, can't he just like change the plot a little bit? And this, this reality of pain and suffering and evil in the world, it turns people away from God. And I just want to, from the depth of my soul, say, don't you get it? Don't you understand why that's here? The reality of pain and suffering is not, uh, is not evidence that God is not good. It's not proof that there is not a good God. It's proof that we turned away from the good God. The reality of pain and suffering is proof that humans have agency. There are consequences for our choices and we chose death instead of life and it caused chaos. And I said, don't you see what God's about? Don't you see how amazing God is? He didn't stay away from the world and say, good luck with that one. Y'all really screwed it up. He said, no, I'm coming for you. And in Genesis 3.15, we have the first promise of salvation. God's saying, I'm not going to leave you in your sin. I'm not going to leave you in death. I'm not going to leave you east of Eden. 
I'm coming for you. I'm going through the offspring of the woman. One day I'm going to send a savior that will crush the head of the serpent and reverse everything that evil, sin, and death has unleashed on my good world. I know you're looking for Eden. I know you're looking for the garden. I know you're looking for paradise again, for life. And God is saying to us today, it can only be found in Jesus. He's the doorway back into life. He is the gateway back into everything that you long for. Friends, don't miss this when I say this. Jesus is the only God that provides what he promises. He's the only God with his own life who pays more than you could ever afford. He fulfills the demands that were required of you that you cannot fulfill. He walks with you. He enters into the pain and the suffering and has the power to redeem any situation, any pain and suffering and give meaning to it. And then in the end, not only does he restore and bring order to our chaos, he goes, guess what? The ultimate turning point in human history I rose from the dead, I conquered death and I can raise you to new life. Your story's not over. Friends, this is why we're celebrating baptism. It's the intersection of God's redemption with our broken story. And you don't have to look very far to see stories broken. I so believe this morning that the Spirit of God is present for salvation in this room. And we're gonna celebrate baptisms right here, but I'm going to invite you now to step into a better story. If you've been serving the gods of this culture, chasing these things to fill the void in your soul and it's left you empty and confused and weary and tired and anxious, Jesus is like, come to me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let me show you the way to life. And you can get baptized right after this service. I want to pray with you if that's you. I just want to ask all eyes to be closed and all heads bowed as we pray and prepare our hearts for communion and then we're going to celebrate these baptisms. But if you want to step into God's story today, I want you to pray with me and just pray something like this. Say, Jesus, in your heart, say, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Tell him, say, thank you for never breaking a promise. In your heart, by faith, cling to Jesus. Say, I believe that you conquered death and rose from the dead. And that in you, I can have new life. In your heart, bring to Jesus all of your brokenness, all of your pain, all of your mess, all of your junk, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. This is, this is it. This is all I have. And right there in that moment, I want you to feel the cleansing forgiveness and the new life of God that washes over you through faith in Christ, the perfect sacrifice for all of us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please fill out one of the cards on the seat back in front of you. Let us know. We have a gift for you. 
We'd love to pray with you. Our prayer teams would love to pray with you. We'd love to get you baptized today. If you want to step forward and get baptized, we got bathing suits and t-shirts. We got all you need. But right now we're going to take communion together. We're going to sing a short chorus and then we're going to baptize some friends. Let's take communion together in this moment. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.